Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, so delighted that you've decided to join us to talk about everything that's green and growing and having fun in the landscape. Uh, if you missed out on last week's program, we did talk about, sort of inspired by my cousin, who he wants this space at his house that reminds him of Aruba. They travel to the Caribbean, they travel on uh, cruise ships, and they love tropical areas, but of course, they live here in the mountains, and so I encouraged him to create a tropical-ish garden. So last week, we talked about plants that give you that sense of, not necessarily, they're not necessarily tropical, but they give you a sense of being from a tropical place, and uh, of course, the whole goal was to talk about plants that look good and provide something all winter long. And so we talked about everything I think was evergreen last week. So if you missed that program, uh, be sure to check it out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Of course, you can uh, find uh, you can find us online there and you can send us a question. Uh, today will be our Q&A week. And so we are answering your questions, giving you our answers. Uh, take it for uh, what you what you will, but uh, we hope that you find it helpful and that you are able to grow well uh, by doing so. So we do have some great questions lined up for you. Of course, it's crazy to think that we're at the end of another month and we've only got, oh, two more to go for 2023. We'll be into 2024 in no time, I'm sure. But there's a lot of things to do in the landscape, a lot of things to get done. So we might as well go ahead and get doing them. Of course, there are some things that um, are going to be timely this time of year. And one of those comes up today when it's a question about houseplants. Um, I hope we haven't lost any houseplants because I have failed to remind you uh, in an appropriate manner that we need to be bringing those in the house if we haven't already, because the colder it gets, the less uh, less happy they will be, that's for sure. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some interesting annuals, some things that people are looking for other than maybe pansies and violas. And we'll talk about transplanting shrubs, because we are in a good time to do that. So we've got a lot lined up on today's program. So thank you all to who have sent us questions. I hope that uh, if you have a question, you will send it to us online, NewSouthernGuard.com. Or, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can send us a video or a picture there. You can tag us or link us or direct message us, I guess is what they say. Uh, but let's go ahead and get to Jeff here. Jeff has some houseplants. Um it's really not necessarily a question about when to bring them in because it's kind of too late. No, <laughs> I will go ahead and say that if you have house plants, when the temperatures started getting down to 50 degrees at night, that's when you need to start bringing them in. So before that, so maybe at the end of September and maybe earliest part of October, you could start preparing preparing your uh, house plants that maybe have been outside all summer maybe spring prepare them to bring them in 
So put this on the calendar for next year. This is not part of Jeff's question, but um, the idea is a couple of weeks before you would be bringing them in, you start maybe using insecticidal soap uh, to make sure you eliminate any pests that may be there, maybe some horticultural oil. Just make sure you do that in the shade uh, because applying horticultural oil in the late part of summer, even early part of autumn and fall, can be a bit brutal. It's like putting butter on your skin and just laying out in the sun. So uh, you can use oils sparingly and safely. Uh, then, of course, there are some insecticides that are uh, organic. Spinosad is one. Uh, you can find it from the Bonide Company as Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. And that's a good product to use if you wanted to use organic. Now, of course, there's a number of uh, non-organic, you know, Chemical forms, I mean, everything's a chemical, water's a chemical, but there are some other things you can use to spray if you have persistent bugs. If you see bugs, you can always squish them, try to remove them um, before you start spraying oils or soaps or neem oil. I should mention neem oil is another good option to use. Uh, be sure that you, um, you could rinse off the plant. You don't want to use such a high spray that you damage the plant, but you can use a strong spray off of your garden hose to blow off, essentially, blow out those uh, insects. But then, of course, there may be diseases. Be on the lookout for diseases. Probably the best thing to do would be to remove any leaves that are diseased because you don't want to bring those in because uh, you'll probably have other plants. If you're a houseplant person, I find that most houseplant people have a ton of them. And so you'll have them cooped up indoors where they may share certain diseases. So, um, if you have a specific problem with a houseplant, be sure to send that to us because we'd love to see what's going on. When it comes to diseases and insects, sometimes it's just good to have a picture. So you can check us out at Facebook and Instagram and share us your photos there. But so that's that. But those are the de decisions you have to make and the things you need to do to prepare your um, potted plant to come indoors uh, a couple of weeks before you decide to bring it in. Some issues, some insects, you know, they may be persistent for up to 14 days. If after 14 days you're not really getting results, you may want to step up the amperage uh, from a soap to maybe an oil and from an oil to a neem oil and neem oil to spinosad, something like that. Uh, let's see. But then, of course, we have the soil to worry about. Are there insects in the soil? You know, so it's probably a good idea, even after you bring it in, to uh, spray some of these products on the soil itself. Um, soaps and oils really only work as a suffocant. They really only suffocate soft-bodied insects. So if you have scale or something like that, it's hard-bodied. You may have to use something uh, a little stronger than just uh, just a suffocant. But uh, but many scales actually will respond quite well to being sprayed with an, a soap or oil. So I always like to start there. And then, of course, if you have large pests, uh, Try to get them out before you bring them into the house, you know. Something, uh, if, if, if the insect is large enough, you can usually pick them out and find them. But if they're hiding in the soil, you may never know. You may never know. You don't want them creeping into your bedroom at night. So uh, don't be worried, though. Uh, I find that there's not usually a whole lot of issues that you can't even remedy once the plant has been brought indoors. So then as we get into October, you, you would find... Um, if I had reminded you earlier, you would know this, but uh, that once we get in the 50s, that's sort of 55 is a always, 55 is, is always my safe, 
my safe temperature, some house plants will be okay at less than 55. Some house plants will be okay at less than 50 for just a few short hours overnight. But the idea is that as the temperature drops, you need to start bringing those house plants inside. Now, Jeff's question didn't really have much to do with when to bring in house plants, but he's wondering if, you know, with potted plants, if we can reuse the potting soil. Do I need to throw out these uh, pots of soil that I have or, or my potting mixes after they've been used? And the reality is you don't have to throw them out. Now, you might consider throwing them out. I'd definitely consider throwing them out if you had a particular disease that was just running rampant in your pots or in your houseplants. If you have a disease, those are really hard to get rid of. Sometimes a fungus in particular, they many fungus can create these really tight structures that are hard. They're tiny. You would never really see them. You surely couldn't find them and pick them all out, but these structures can then grow into a new disease and, and, and a new pathogen. So with that being said, there are some recommendations uh, for reusing potting soil that I've never shared with you before. I, I don't say I always do this or maybe that I ever have, <laughs> but it's a possibility. If you want to be on the safe side, uh, if you didn't have issues if you didn't have issues with your potting soil and uh, a soil-borne disease, then you can reuse that, and there is a way to treat it. If you fill a large plastic pot, maybe three, uh, two-thirds full with that soil that you're trying to reuse, pour water into that pot until it's full, and then allow it to drain. Then do that once more. Now, this technique is going to help wash away any fertilizer salts that may be remaining in the soil. You know, a lot of your potting mixes now come with some kind of fertilizer in them. Uh, whether you utilize it or not, um, I mean, whether you apply them or not, uh, things like miracle Grow, if you use that, that is essentially salt form of fertilizer. And so by washing the soil, essentially, by washing it, letting it drain a couple of times, you are helping to push out some of those excess salts. So you're, what we're trying to do is, is get this used soil back to sort of a, a fresh soil. And then you can take that soggy soil, put it into a baking pan. You want to let most of the water drain, but it's going to be kind of uh, soggy. Put it into a baking pan. Now, I would find a, a, a deep baking pan that has at least two-inch high sides, maybe something like a roasting pan. Uh, but be sure to mark this one just for garden purposes, okay? <laughs> Turn on your oven to about 200 degrees Fahrenheit and put that soil into the oven. You're baking your soil, folks, uh, for about 30 minutes. Sounds like a cooking show now. This is supposed to be a gardening show. Now, once it has been in 200-degree Fahrenheit heat for at least 30 minutes, the heat is going to kill any insects, uh, and it will kill most diseases that might be lingering in the soil. So even if you didn't suspect a problem, this is a way to help essentially sterilize the soil sterilize the soil. Yes, you know, it's a potting mix. Uh, there needs to be a certain amount of good bacteria, but we don't want the ba bad bacteria. There should be a certain amount of good fungus in that soil, and it will kill all, the good and the bad. But it is bringing it back to a sterile mix. And that sterile mix then can be used 
like you normally would. But once you bring it out of the oven, just spread that soil thinly over a newspaper in a covered spot, maybe a garage, maybe a shed, maybe, you know, a, a a basement or something and you just let it dry completely now i don't like to get it to the driest point because drying it out completely especially if it's a peat based soil potting mix uh, you will find that it will be hard to rehydrate so once it dries out enough uh, that there's moist but not soggy like it was going into the oven. Now you have essentially a refreshed soil that's sterilized. Now this is critical in the nursery industry is to start with a soil that's sterile when we are propagating plants, for instance. Because if we're using soil that may already have, yes, good bacteria, good fungus, but also bad bacteria or bad fungus, if we make a cutting from a hydrangea and stick it in the soil, it's very possible that the bad bacteria or fungus may attack that cutting and cause it to rot and decay before it actually roots so you do you have to do this all the time no but if you're making it a habit of reusing your soil and you want to make sure that you're not introducing a plant into this reuse soil that potentially has some problems maybe insects are in there maybe certain bad fungus or bad bacteria disease causing uh, microorganisms then you can be sure to sterilize it in this fashion i will admit that probably one of the reasons i don't do this more often is because if my wife caught me putting soil potting mix into her oven that she bakes our children's supper with she would probably uh, tan my hide, as they used to say, my grand, uh, grandmother used to say. So with that being said, I don't do this often. If you have a spare oven you could use just for gardening purposes, well, then go right ahead. But um, real gardeners like you and I wouldn't mind using our cooking ovens, would we? So I uh, hope that helps you, Jeff, with the idea of reusing your soil. Generally, you don't have to go through this process, but it's not a bad idea particularly if you are worried that maybe you're, you know, if you're going to use this soil for young plants, things that are just getting established, getting going, or like I said, if you're going to use it for propagation. Whenever we propagate plants, we need to use fresh media, not reuse media. So if you're using it for house plants, you probably could reuse it without doing the oven sterilization technique. But I say it's better to be safe than sorry when it comes to fungus and potential bacterias and insects it's better to be safe than sorry and what is it benjamin franklin said an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure or rather the use of your oven is worth more than having to spray and, and try to kill things afterwards so i hope that that helps jeff i know that it's kind of strange and maybe your wife won't be quite like mine and probably get me in trouble for using her oven for non-culinary purposes but with that being said, we've got a lot of questions to answer. So we're going to come back after this break, go back to the mailbag, mailbox, inbox. And we thank you to all those who have submitted questions for today's show. Hang on tight. We will be right back with more gardening ideas and tips and answers to your questions. Hey. 
Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share, whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we we are answering your questions. This is our Q&A week. Of course, we do this at the end of the month, the last Saturday of the month, and we appreciate all those who are communicating with us about your landscapes and gardens. Uh, we, we love to hear good success stories, but we know that there's a lot of struggles and, yes, sometimes failures. But, you know, really, I think that in order to be considered a, a real gardener, you have to kill more plants than you keep alive, okay? That's just the sad facts. It's definitely the nurseryman's struggle. Of course, you can find me throughout the week at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, and I definitely kill more than I need to or should, you know, especially when it's your, when it's your livelihood. But it's the beauty of plants. It's the beauty of working with living organisms. I mean, just like you and I, just like our kids, plants... Well, plants aren't people, but they're like people. They need certain things to live, to grow, to thrive. And, of course, it's our job to cultivate and to be good stewards of the earth. And by doing so, of course, um, we, we find benefits. We definitely find benefits. We find things that uh, are going to brighten our day and do that kind of stuff. So with that in mind, we're going to answer your questions. Before the break, we talked about sterilizing pot, re, sterilizing old potting mix so we can reuse it. And uh, even though it's not necessary and it would probably get me in trouble because it includes using uh, an oven. And the only oven we have is our cooking oven, so I would probably get in trouble. Um, it, is a, it is an option, especially if uh, you're tired of going out and buying brand new soil every year. Just want to make sure that it's fresh. You want to make sure that it doesn't have bad pathogens in that soil if you're going to reuse it. With that being said, Alyssa has sent us some questions here about growing annuals over winter. Now, we did talk about this, oh, earlier in the month or last month. I can't remember, but she says she knows she's late to the party, but she still would like to know how to plant uh, an, an annual bed, and of course, are there some annuals that she can use in her landscape, other than pansies, other than pansies, uh, to give her some fall color, winter color? Uh, and yes, there are. Yes, there are. We'll talk about that in a second. But if in uh, you, if if you need to start by preparing your bed, uh, let's begin by saying that really we're planting our winter or fall annuals, not when our Summer annuals look bad because it's gotten too cold. We're actually doing this before the annuals from summer start getting hit by the cold. 
So it's hard because, you know, I had a container that was full of and and uh, Angelica and uh there was some vinca in there, uh, geranium. I mean, all these things aren't going to make it through the cold. And it did its purpose. You know, it served its job. It produced beautifully around the pool all summer long. I was really well pleased with that arrangement. But I had to rip them out, remove them while they're looking good, and replace them with things that are going to be more suitable for the colder weather. So it's really hard. It's really hard to say, I got to rip this beautiful plant out. But the fact is, is if we wait to rip out the summer annuals, then it might be too cold for your winter annuals to do well and to do best. The idea is that, well, at least in North Georgia, probably early October is a good time. I do sometimes think that September, even though people are looking for them in your box store, your local box stores already have them. They've probably had pansies since August. And those are the dog days of summer. It's too hot. But the idea is that as the daytime temperatures fall into the 70s, that's really a good time. And we've already started to get colder than that. It doesn't mean you give up all hope and don't try it because these are plants. The plants we use this time of year can handle the cold. I say still, Alyssa, go give it a shot. But in the ideal world, we want the uh, daytimes to have backed off to at least the 70s. And just as soon as we get to that, that's a good point. So usually in northeast Georgia, we're looking at early October. But in order to prepare your bed, Alyssa, Um, you're going to treat it very much like you would a vegetable garden. You're going to want to soften the soil as much as possible. The best thing to do is to make sure you roto-till, if you will. If you'll till the soil, I know we don't all have tillers. Uh, Yes, you can rent them. And and there are some of those mantis tillers that are relatively cheaper than, say, uh, a big kind of tiller like my grandfather had Uh, but those rototillers especially the mantis they can get into these small beds really easy they're lightweight Uh, they're about as maybe heavy as a a weed whacker or a weed eater Um, a string trimmer if you will but while you're tilling that soil put on two inches of some kind of organic matter some kind of organic material whether it's compost manure something to not only add nutrition to the soil but also organic matter and of course that helps loosen loosens it up softens up any clay that you may have there when we're talking about pansies violas and things now these have very fine roots and they do need very fine soil so probably the pansy beds that look the worst are the ones that weren't amended well that weren't softened well they need good drainage too, uh, particularly these pansies. Uh, well, really, all the plants we would use over the winter, make sure that your soil drains well and is not soggy. And you can correct that if you have a wet spot. You can correct that fairly easily by mounding that bed up. And by adding organic matter, that helps you to create a mound so that you have a space where plants' roots uh, can hang out towards the top of the mound if it's too wet down below. And of course, if they need extra moisture, you'll have it down there. But mounding is an appropriate way to really fix any kind of poor draining soil. Put a coarse 
textured material on top of poor draining soil, and you've got an instant bed that's not going to be waterlogged. Now, when you're planting these winter annuals, if you want to talk about pansies, violas, snapdragons, we've already mentioned those over the past few weeks, but when we're doing that, they can be planted as close as maybe six inches. Now, some landscapers I see plant them maybe four inches apart, Uh, but you can spread them out eight, 10 inches apart in between plants. And the idea here is that the closer you space them, the fuller that bed is going to appear. And the fuller it's going to appear faster too. It's going to be uh, filling in quicker. So if you do that, you'll have sort of instant gratification in just a few weeks. But by doing so, by keeping them nice and tight and close to each other, you do increase the potential for disease that would make a pansy and viola and stuff that would make it more susceptible to a disease by overcrowding. Um, so with that in mind, you have to make a decision, be on the lookout to see if you're spacing them, uh, far enough for your purposes. The plants don't really care how close they are. They don't really care how far apart they are, but the reality is, is do you need them touching each other, uh, very quickly? you may have some problems. But if you don't mind them growing um, together at a slower rate, you can space them further apart, and they may never really touch each other, so it won't look crowded. Um, I do like to see nothing but leaves and flowers in my annual beds. I, I don't like to have space between them. I sort of take a chance with a potential disease, uh, but really haven't had any problems. So just wanted to bring that attention up to you. Now, uh, I think your other question here has to do with, are there some other things other than pansies and violas? Yes, there are. There's the snapdragons we talked about before. Of course, they're very winter hardy, and sometimes we've had snapdragons at the nursery in a pot for two or three years. Uh, They don't look so hot over the hot months, uh, but they usually bounce back after summer and do a great job, nearly perennial with those snapdragons. Now, dianthus, there's certain dianthus that you can incorporate. Uh, Of course, there's some landscape dianthus that are very hardy. Uh, They don't have a problem with the winter weather, but they don't bloom as much. So you may be on the lookout for certain dianthus we would consider an annual dianthus that is going to bloom heavily over the uh, fall, it may slow down in the dead of winter, but then of course it will pick up as we go into that late part of winter and they will just bloom like crazy. Let's see, I do have a list of other things, some unusual plants, some of these I just love so much some are a little harder to grow so we got to go to a break but when we get back from this break we're going to help give Alyssa some other plants that she may want to use in her winter annual beds and even spread out amongst her perennials hang on tight for more blooms to come Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are answering your questions because this is our Q&A week. Remember at the end of the month, 
the last Saturday of the month, we go to the mailbag, the mailbox, the inbox, the direct messages. Wherever we can find your messages, we bring them up so we can answer your questions. We know that, of course, things can be tough in the garden and the landscape. And it's good to have somebody that can be there to at least listen to what you have to say. So if you have something to say, be sure to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just click on the Contact Us page, and you can send us a message there. Or, of course, you can go to Facebook and Instagram. We love to hear from you. I mean, we love to hear anything from you. I don't love to hear that you're having problems, but if you're having successes, be proud of those. And we want to relish in those successes with you. So before the break, we were answering Alyssa's question. Uh, In summary, she's asking how to prepare uh, a bed. She knows she's kind of late to the party, in her words, late to the party for annuals for winter. Um, We talked about the best time in North Georgia is probably that first part of October. Here we are, the late part of October, but I, I don't... I would not shy away from going ahead and and trying to grow something because we can. Uh, The plants we use in the annual bed, they can handle the cold. Now, cold soil can slow them down, but we surely will have some decent warm days that will speed them up a bit so that they will get what they need and start growing and blooming well for you. Uh, And then, of course, she was asking, are there other things other than pansies? And yes, there are. Of course, there's pansies, violas. We talked about snapdragons before the break. And we talked about dianthus. Now, dianthus is also known as pinks. It's known as pinks not because the color of their blossom. Even many of them are pink. Some are white. Some are purple. Some are red. Some are shades in between all of those. But they're known as pinks because uh, even though their, their flower is circular, around the edge of that circle are little... Uh, frills, little frills. And those frills remind us of pinking shears. Now, I don't really know much about pinking shears, but I remember my grandmother who uh, did a lot of sewing and making of things, not necessarily clothes, but she did sew certain things. And she had shears that had those cuts. You could make those pinking cuts with pinking shears. And that's how dianthus or pinks really get their name is because not of the color but because of the shape that they provide around the edges of their petals it's a really attractive flower of course dianthus is in the same group as um, carnations carnations are a dianthus and so really most all the pinks are or dianthus are going to smell and have a nice fragrance and so i hope that you can um, enjoy those bring those indoors if you're growing them and you'll have something to smell about now there's another plant that i do want to and I found a nice little article. I'm going to read a little bit from that. But this is called this plant is called stock. Now, stock is an old-fashioned flower. As a matter of fact, um, you may see them this time of year. We've had some at Linear Nursery and Gardens this fall, and they do have just a subtle clove-like scent. Uh, so another fragrant flower, and it's really that kind of classic cottage garden plant and it's been used in cottages for hundreds of years they come in a range of colors and again have that delicate fragrance that many think of as an heirloom flower and it really is an old-fashioned heirloom flower these flowers are nice and rosy like but they are born 
on a tall stalk. And so they sort of look like delphiniums or larkspur, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but the stalk comes in shades of pinks and whites and maybe even yellows, reds. It's really a broad group of color you get there. But it has been said that Thomas Jefferson had them imported to plant at his gardens at Monticello in um, 1771. And essentially, by doing that, he introduced them into cultivation into the United States. Now, these stock flowers were very popular during the Victorian era, and the English call them gilly, gilly flowers, the gilly flower. Now, they are considered signs of deep affection when you give them to someone you love. And even though they are considered an annual, we might buy them in the nursery as an annual, uh, they're really easily grown over the cool months. Now, here's the interesting thing about stock is... It is in the same group of plants as broccoli, as cabbage. And with that being said, being a member of the brassica family, just like um, uh, uh, cauliflower, just like those things, they do have that blue-green leaf that sort of resembles a tiny cabbage leaf. And even when the flowers fall off, what's left behind, the foliage and that stalk, it looks like a cabbage plant that's gone to seed. So it's really a cool plant. The fact that it's in Nebraska, it's also edible. You can eat the flowers. Um, some people say that they taste pretty good. Uh, and of course, because they look so beautiful, they make great bouquets. Because they're edible, you can pinch off those bouquets and garnish them on your salads if you like. Give it a try. I'm not saying give it a try to eat them, but give a try to grow them in your winter landscape. Again, different pleasing pastel pinks, apricots, shades of crimson, red, purple. Um, you don't really see the, the natives anymore. They're all hybridized and cultivated varieties, so they're improved, if you will, to grow in your landscape. Of course, once we get to the hot days, just like any brassica, they won't be around for much longer. So, Alyssa, try that one. Try the stock out. Try the stock out with your snapdragons, your pansies, your violas. And then what else can you do in this winter flower garden? Well, you can plant seeds. Now, you may be able to find stock seeds. You could do that. Uh, but you could also plant poppy seeds. You could plant larkspur seeds and sweet alyssum. Alyssa. Put some alyssum in your landscape. And in order to do that, all you really need to do is to scratch the ground around your maybe fading perennials. You know, your perennial flowers that aren't doing anything anymore. Uh, get an iron rake and, and scratch up just some soft soil. Scatter those seeds lightly on top of the soil and be sure to press them into the soil with the palm of your hand or maybe the back of a hoe or something. But don't cover them with soil because many of these seeds that we're sowing need light to germ which means if we bury them too deeply, they won't have access to sunlight, which triggers them to start growing and germinating. But don't worry about watering them if you're planting them this time of year. Just let nature nurture those seeds with her moisture. We should have plenty. And pretty soon, sometime in November, you will probably start to see the seedlings germinate. And then you can start thinning them out, spacing them maybe up to six uh, or 10 inches apart. Um, the seedlings will survive the winter without any harm, and they will grow into larger plants next spring. So things like poppies, things like larkspur, things like sweet alyssum, you can go ahead and get them started. They're going to be uh, tough and rugged, 
through the winter months, and you will enjoy early spring flowers. Now that we've told you how to plant them, I want to mention something about the poppy. Of course, there are plenty of different poppies, and I've tried poppies in my landscape and really have only been successful with one, and that's called the Iceland poppy. Uh, Now, I've tried the classic poppy, which of course is the one that is known as papaver somniferum. Somniferum meaning go to sleep. Of course, poppy is the plant that opium comes from. And so uh, even though it's not illegal uh, to sell the seed or grow the seed or buy the seed, I understand that uh, if the authorities think you're using that poppy for something, that that might be, be able to be prosecuted. It's a shame because, of course, you and I are only growing these plants in order to have beautiful flowers. But the Iceland poppy is not the opium poppy. The Iceland poppy uh, is this really cool plant that you need to Google it as soon right now if you've got your phone. Uh, It has this grayish green foliage, uh, long linear uh, foliage, very hairy. And then when they start blooming in the later part of winter, early part of spring, they send up this very tall and thin flowering stalk, which is wiry. It looks wiry, sort of bendy looking. And it's very hairy too. Then at the top, you have this large bud that opens up and looks like a uh, uh, any other op- uh, any other poppy flower, uh, they're smaller than the opium poppy, but they do have sort of a papery-like petal. They come in shades of maybe pinks and reds, but definitely whites and yellows and oranges. Now, that poppy is the only poppy that I've had success with in the past. You know, the more I talk about this, the more I think I need to go find some of those Iceland poppy seeds. They were super easy to start, super easy to grow. And to me, because they're on these very tall, wiry, hairy stems, they seem like something... something magical, something out of a fantasy world. And they do look really cool if you can uh, put them in between your pansies, if you put them in between violas, or plant them with your snapdragons and those stocks and larkspur we talked about. Then you have this really cool display coming into the late winter. It's very colorful, super colorful, of course, but because you have certain plants like the, viol- like the violets, the um, pansies that have their... Uh, little round flowers, and then you'll have uh, the snapdragons and the stalk on top of these tall spikes, and then you'll have this Iceland poppy just emerging from the soil, just crested at the base with just a little tuft of foliage, and it's really a magical mixture, a magical mixture. So, Alyssa, I know that maybe it is a little late, but don't worry. We're at the end of October. Uh, some of these plants and the seeds are going to have a lot of good times <laughs> with this cooler weather. I just love growing and gardening in the southeast because we can do so much. It, it really wasn't something on my mind until I spoke with somebody from Wisconsin, and they were in between zone three and four. And when they moved down here and started asking me questions about things you can grow in the South, it was really hard communicating with them because she was under the impression that you had to grow pansies in the summer. 
I said, are you kidding me? It's too hot for pansies. She said, what? She said, well, back home, that's all we can grow over summer. Wouldn't that be a shame to only grow pansies over summer? I mean, for heaven's sakes, right now, uh, we can grow these pansies, violas, snapdragons, dianthus, all these things. It doesn't get too cold. And it doesn't get too hot for us here. If we were way further south, down at the uh, at the tip of Florida, our palate would look different. We'd have a lot of tropical plants. But we can grow these temperate and heavy-blooming plants. And I think it's just wonderful. Uh, try the dianthus. Try the Iceland poppy. Try some larkspur. I've tried larkspur. It's not uh, something that I've been easily able to do. But boy, if you can get larkspur going, it is one of those beautiful plants and you get some real good blues and rich purples and whites. Uh, very attractive. So Alyssa, don't let the fact that we're at late October slow you down. Go ahead, go ahead and rototill that soil. Get your bed planted up just right and Give it as, 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 as much of love as you can, but not too much because, of course, we don't want to overwater things this time of year when, um, when we get plenty of rainfall. So thanks for your question, Alyssa. We really appreciate uh, you thinking about certain things and trying to grow something new. That's what it's all about. I love to, love to hear it when people are interested in trying to grow something new. Well, this next question comes from Jeff. Not the same Jeff as the first question today, but a new Jeff. And Jeff is wanting to move some shrubs around. It sounds like, I've got a long uh, question here, but it sounds like maybe they're in the wrong place. They're growing too close to the house. They're getting too tall for the windows. But he wants to use these taller plants. Uh, doesn't mention what they are, but maybe as a hedge. And so by transplanting them, You'll be able to do that, Jeff, but we do need to transplant a certain way. Just, I'll give you some pointers on making sure that by transplanting and removing a plant from where it is and putting it someplace else, that you give it the best success. We want to give it a good go, right? We want to make sure, uh, let's see if we've got that here. Yes, we want to give it a good go. So when we get back, we are going to be talking to Jeff about transplanting some shrubs. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are answering your questions. We appreciate everyone who has done that. And, of course, we usually have more questions than we have time. So, I apologize. We'll try to get to as many questions as we can. And today, we've already talked about sterilizing potting soil or reusing potting soil. I gave you a technique that you can do in your kitchen. If your wife, in my case, would let me uh, use her oven to bake my soil and sterilize it, heat it up to 200 degrees for 30 minutes, and it's sterilized. Uh, and then, of course, we talked with Alyssa and her question about 
planting different and unusual winter annuals other than pansies. And of course, you know how much the deer love those. So doing some snapdragons, doing some dianthus, that will just bring a different kind of life and color to your landscape. And now we're talking about Jeff's question. He's basically moving some shrubs uh, that have gotten too big. He planted them too close to the house, maybe. Maybe it was the wrong plant. I'm not sure what the plant is here, but that is one critical thing when you're planting near the house. Make sure that you're using smaller shrubs or they may take over. Things like cleara. I see them around houses all the time and they have to be sheared back, sheared back, sheared back constantly because they want to be over eight foot tall. And you probably don't want a thick, dense hedge of cleara in front of your bay window. Uh, make sure if you're working with landscapers that you know what they're putting in. Or you may have the same problem Jeff is. But now that the air is cooler, the ground is still relatively warm. It can help develop uh, the root system on transplanted plants, whether you're moving them or whether you're going to a nursery and buying them in a container. The soil is nice and warm, but the air is cooler. Your plants aren't really growing now. At least their leaves and stems are not. And so that means less stress for them. They don't have to have so much water. And the, the heat is not here. So that's going to make putting a, um, uh, taking a plant from one place, damaging the roots in order to do so, picking that up and moving it somewhere else, it's going to make the process on the plant and, and you uh, actually a, a lot less stressful. Because, of course, if we did this when it was very hot and the plant is actively growing, the plant needs a lot of water. The plant needs a lot of nutrition in order to grow over the spring and summer. Yes, it can be done, and the uh, situation may be a lot different, but now you won't have to worry about keeping that plant watered regularly because winter we have plenty of moisture and those roots that are damaged are going to be able to heal in that soft in that warm soil and they're going to be able to regrow remember just like we prune the branches of a plant and they grow back we can also prune the roots of a plant and they too will grow back a plant knows how to grow it doesn't have to go to school it doesn't have to be taught we're the ones who have to learn a little bit so with that being said jeff uh depending on how tall your plants are it's a good idea to at least say if you have a two foot tall shrub uh to to dig a ring around the base of that plant that's at least 18 inches from the center of the plant so the idea is that you need to get as much root system as you can possibly handle and if you've got enough mustard there <laughs> to give it a good heave then trying to get even more of a root system than 18 inches is appropriate if your plant is six foot tall this is going to be a big plant, and of course, it's going to need as much root as possible. But by doing it now, this time of year when it's cooler and the plant doesn't have a demand for as much resources, uh, you, you will have better success. Now, dig a ring around the entire root ball that's, say, 18 inches or plus, maybe three feet, whatever it turns out to be, depending on the size of the plant, and loosen those roots as you go around, okay? Now, you can use a shovel, but a shovel is like a knife. Uh, 
you know, it has, uh, it has, it's like a guillotine in a way, and it's going to be severing roots. So you might use a combination of both shovel and digging fork. You see, a digging fork won't damage as many roots because uh, a digging fork has spaces between those forks, and that will allow for some roots to not be damaged, even though some surely will, and most will have to be in order to be dug out. So use a combination of shovel while you're digging a nice ring around the base of this tree and as far as going under the tree you will have to cut the roots that are underneath the the uh, tree uh, underneath the shrub that root ball you'll have to cut those and sever those in order to pull it out you may need a couple of people you may need a couple of uh, digging devices because once you've got this root ball loose you have one guy with a shovel on one end and one guy with a shovel opposing him and you can lift that up with the shovel using a little bit of leverage there in your shovel handle and you can extract it from the ground it's like pulling a tooth right and then placing the root ball onto uh, the soil outside of the hole. Now, it's not a bad idea to use a piece of burlap or tarp or something and roll that uh, root ball onto this uh, sheet of some kind because that will make moving it a lot easier. You can nearly drag it or slide it to where it needs to go. Uh, And once you've done that, Now we need to talk about planting (laughs) your transplant. So you want to make sure that you have a wide hole. This is the case when we plant anything, a wide hole, but it doesn't have to be very deep, of course. And while you're working that soil and digging that wide hole, you want to be sure that you're softening the soil at the same time. So the idea is you're busting up clods of soil. You're busting up uh, chunks of soil and the clay soil so that you have a soft soil with very small clods. We don't want any clod uh, in that planting soil that's larger than one inch. Everything needs to be one one inch in diameter or less. And that will help to make good contact with the roots to the soil. Now, what I would rather do is actually plant this just a little higher than the soil line because that is going to help the plant to not be planted too deeply that maybe there's some uh, you know, poor drainage or whatnot, but that's also going to allow the roots to spread out and downwards into the soft soil that you've made. So you can maybe line up the top of your root ball maybe a couple of inches higher than the surrounding soil line. And that way you've created a little mound that this plant can be on. So once you've placed that root ball into the planting area, the planting hole, you can start to fill the, the, the void, <laughs> fill the hole uh, with that soft soil. Now, once it's planted... I would give it a good drenching, a good soaking. Make sure that you water well. This is critical whether you're transplanting, moving something from one place to another, or if you're putting something, taking something out of a container and putting it in the ground. Because what the water is going to do is it's going to um, sort of push out any air pockets that may be surrounding the root ball. And it's only going to further help get the roots to touch the soil. Remember, roots have to touch soil in order to bring in moisture. So if your soil is not soft or you have air pockets uh, around the root ball, you're going to have a problem with roots drying out. Now, Once you've done that, mulch it with two inches of some kind of organic matter or mulching material. Uh, Make sure not to let that mulch touch the base of the trunk. We talk about this all the time, I know, but it's critical to keep 
the stem uh, with a nice airflow and, and, and not allow material to surround it with moisture. Then you can let it rest. But it's not really resting because it is going to grow. It is going to grow roots. It's not going to grow necessarily uh, any more stems and leaves this time of year. But all winter long, your transplant will be regenerating a strong root system. Don't overwater it. You probably won't have to water it once if you mulch it well. Just water it that first time and then keep an eye on the soil. Make sure it doesn't dry out. I hope that helps, Jeff, and I hope you find a good place for those large shrubs. Well, for WRWH 93.9 FM and New Southern Garden, my name's Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well, grow well, and have a happy Halloween. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.